thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 173 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, June 23rd, and made available for download Tuesday, June 27th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Kinshadow. And I'm Jeff. And in the audio booth, wearing a camo pattern short utilikilt, is Henry. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, apparently NASA's been looking out into space. Again! Next we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover. The Knox Concept Sale. The scaling down of the universe and the Levski landing zone for Star Citizen. And finally, a fix in the engineering exploits along with a patch speculation for Elite Dangerous. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. So, everybody loves the meme based off of Oprah giving out cars. You get a whatever, and you get a whatever, and so on. Does everyone remember when that happened? That's right, it was the finale of the show. Unfortunately, something similar is happening now to exoplanets. NASA just announced they have 219 new exoplanets that the Kepler Space Telescope has identified. And 10 of them seem to be in the green zone of their respective stars. Unfortunately, this is the last massive dump of exoplanet data we're likely to receive from Kepler. Now, this isn't the last data we're going to get. It's just the last huge dump. The exoplanet data we've been getting for the past few years was generated during Kepler's first mission. Unfortunately, that mission ended abruptly when the telescope broke back in 2013. All of the exoplanet data NASA has been releasing was generated prior to that. Now, Kepler is still studying exoplanets, but it can only look at one patch of sky for about 80 days before it has to be moved because the sun gets in the way. We're still going to get lots of data from Kepler, but probably not all at once, like we have been. Up until now, the telescope has found 4,034 planetary candidates, and 10 green zone planets have been confirmed by independent observation. Also, the scientists are beginning to see a trend. Most planets seem to be Earth-sized or are gas dwarfs, about the size of Neptune. Identifying these kinds of trends allows scientists to more quickly identify and classify planets from the raw data. Here's hoping Kepler keeps giving us new worlds to dream of for a long time yet. Boy, that was a hard one to read. <laughs> you know, I read that previous to the show, and it was tough to get through. I don't know. Yeah, sorry. There's a lot of data and multisyllabic words that I couldn't really get around. Multisyllabic? Just a, a tough story to read, because the end of Kepler's uh, big data is a bad thing. I wasn't actually, I didn't remember that it broken, because data comes out from it all the time. Well, yeah, but the problem is that they can't leave it positioned at one area of the sky anymore um and i don't i'm not quite certain of all the mechanics involved that makes that problem it's exist, a broken reaction wheel so they have no way to turn it so 
as it orbits, it's facing one direction, and as it uh, passes, the sun gets in its way, from what I understand. But it's all about that broken yes. wheel. Two broken wheels, it? actually. Like, yeah, two out of four, apparently, on the mm. Fritz. So they can only look at individual areas of the sky for 83 or 80 days, which is, I mean, it's still a lot, but depending on where in a planet's orbit it is, it may never see anything. Like, uh, if you were hundreds of light years distance and were looking at our sun, 83 days, depending on the part in the orbit, you could easily miss that we were here. You'd never see Jupiter, probably. Definitely would never see Pluto so, and such. So the new observations, though, that they're getting are really exciting, I think, because that, if you find new trends in the data that you're getting from the, the telescope, then that changes the models people use for the overall universe, which changes all, all sorts of things. Even going back to, uh, you know, we're going to discuss it more in the next section, but Star Citizen using that data. And so I wonder if, you know, some of these new revelations would be factored into uh, such video games when coming up with their space systems. Yeah, that would definitely help. But the the question is also, you know, are those the most common planets in the universe or are those just the most common planets that we can see? Well, I like this because I, I get excited every time Kepler announces new stuff. I like this because when I was growing up, there were two theories at work. One theory was that there, uh, of Earth-like planets, there are, there are less than the times pi of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of percent of Earth-style planets in the universe. The other theory was that the universe was had universal law and that our type of planet was more common in the universe than we than was theorized that there there were it was more of a commonality because of whatever universe, gravitational or universal law or whatever guides the universe and i always felt that that theory was more right than there being less than a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of uh, earth-like planets in the universe because i mean really I, I, it's fun to believe in that kind of stuff and that there are other worlds out there that have got intelligent life on it and, and uh, or you know or supporting life of some kind whether they're it's intelligent or not but it, it just makes uh, a good belief system <laughs> red seen or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com but for now let's see what news has hit the flight deck for CIG, we have more info on the Knox because the concept sales started shortly before this recording. This space bike is apparently more geared toward combat and racing, whereas the Dragonfly is theoretically a scout. As such, there are solid pieces of armor that come up behind the pilot to increase their survivability. Also, the pilot's profile will be smaller because the seating posture is different. In motorcycle parlance, the Dragonfly is more of a cruiser, while the Knox is a sport bike. Yes, that's right, the Knox is a literal, virtual crotch rocket. Finally, the Knox is fully embracing the open canopy concept. The ship's HUD is 100% holographic. The sale itself doesn't have many surprises to it. The Knox is being offered for the aforementioned $40, unless you want to drop actual cash on it, in which case you can snag one for $35. There's also a variant, kind of. It's more like a reskin. Anyway, if you want the Knox in light silver rather than the traditional black, there's an option for the same price. And of course, there are the bundles. First, you have the two-pack offer that gets you a $5 discount, 
$10 if you're going the credit route. Then you have the option of buying two of them in conjunction with a star pair, which seems like an odd pairing. It does, doesn't it? But I think the deal gives you one of the Noxes at least half off, if not completely for free. And finally, there's the option that they should have called the Biker Gang Bundle, but they missed the opportunity. You can get five Noxes at close to a buy four, get one free deal. People are speculating that this sale will get a lot of attention, not necessarily because of the Noxus popularity, but because this is the cheapest opportunity to acquire so-called LTI tokens in quite some time. We'll have to wait and see if the sale generates a CCU frenzy that further draws the ire of CIG. So I, um, I don't know uh, if I'm going to CCU one of mine to a um, Nox, because I have a Dragonfly. But I really like the idea that the dragonfly can seat two people and one of them can shoot while the other one drives. And, I, and for me, that feels like it has uh, more playability value. The other thing is that I, I expect both of these things to be fairly cheap in the actual game. So there's no reason to stock up on them more than, more than one other than to get a head start in doing planet exploration. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think these are going to be fr- relatively inexpensive in game and... I don't see paying paying hard cash for any of it. It is a sexy bike, though. I mean, it's like the little commercial they released and stuff like that. I understand why some people are excited about it. It it looks really neat and like the cool animations and it's got that Shion like uh, like hover magnet thing going on where like the fins are like off to the side a little bit and you're you're putting your feet on like plates that aren't actually attached to the bike. I mean, that's all really cool. Minus the the neon highlights, it definitely looks like they pulled this thing straight out of Tron. Yeah. Well, plus the meat, plus the neon <laughs> highlights, right? Yeah. Can anyone drop any sort of logic onto the bundle of this bike with the Starfarer? Because I was trying to figure that out, and I just couldn't. I think that is a uh, so they had a thing where Star Citizen tweeted out, "Hey." We're, uh, we're, you know, this is the MV Golden Ticket, which was a whole C, I believe. And so everybody speculated it would be a whole C that they would sell in addition to it. But anyway, uh, they said, we're in distress. Uh, t- pirates are attacking us. And then, then they would treat out, t- tweet out, I'm a pirate and I'm attacking you. And they put another hashtag on it and things like that. And people would tweet back and say, I'm coming to rescue you. And then it would, in the Star Citizen account, you know, which is, um, probably run by Tyler or whoever, would tweet back at them back and forth. And it was a kind of an interesting little role play scenario they did on Twitter. Uh, they, they ended up putting a poll up during the thing. And it's like, are you going to join the pirates or are you going to join the hauler? And uh, most people joined the hauler and, and to protect it. And the, the theory was that because they won, then they offered a hauler for sale along with the Nox. If the pirates had won, they probably would have offered a buck or something like that. That makes sense. That's interesting. Or maybe a caterpillar. Yeah, or, yeah. or a caterpillar, okay. sure. Was that completely spontaneous, or was that sort of advertised in some fashion prior? It was all it was all on Twitter. So if you follow, like I have notifications for Star Citizen's uh, Twitter okay. account, so I saw like it, it just blew up because they they tweeted a lot, and uh, I tweeted back at them. Of course, I was on the pirate side, but uh, the you know it was it's interesting, and they they were playing along really well, and um, like the pirate was quoting poetry and weird crap like that. So it wasn't totally spontaneous, but it was obviously a. Um, a dynamic thing where the person was responding to people that are actually tweeting back at them and stuff. So uh, it was a good bit of fun. I hope they do it again sometime because it's. I think it's those little RPG events like on Twitter. I think are better than the you know retweet to descramble the image 
crap they do sometimes, you know, because who cares? Of course, they're going to get retweets. Of course, you're going to see the image beforehand. You know, there's no right. there's no surprise in it. But the little RP event, you know, and people actually voting and stuff like that, they don't know what they're voting on, really. But it, it makes things a lot more dynamic. And um, I enjoyed it. So can we talk about the bikes real quick? Because I have uh, a question. What do you guys think visually between the two? What would you rather have if you had to pick one? For you, I don't know how I feel about the Knox. I like it, but I feel like the Dragonfly just looks better. The Knox is like a ninja in motorcycle terms, and the um, Dragonfly is like a Harley. You know, it's very, very different. I prefer the aesthetics of the Knox over the Dragonfly, but yeah, it's. I mean, they are going very heavily toward mimicking uh, motorcycle design and motorcycle culture, and in that vein, you have people with hard-line dedication to one bike style or another. It makes sense to have, like, a fast and armored strike um, bike and a, a more utilitarian, um, small cargo-hold, multi-person bike. And so, I, 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 if you imagine in the universe that you'll see caterpillars open their doors and pirates flood out of them for boarding actions, you, you could possibly easily imagine a, a mix, you know, like four noxes and like uh you know six uh, dragonflies or something like that come out of these ships you know and and first wave does kind of an assault to blow a hole and then the other guy drops starts dropping people off i could see that star citizen community question number one is offering a new fairly cheap ship with lti a dangerous loophole in the ccu system are people still making too much of lti and the idea that ccus are exploitable Stay tuned, and we'll tell you how to send us your thoughts. Meanwhile on ATV, it looks like we're getting closer to seeing the oft-previewed Levski Landing Zone. Originally showcased almost two years ago, the shady outlaw-themed Levski Landing Zone was originally going to be an alternate place to walk around outside the hangar, and was supposed to be in the Nix system. When Alpha PTU development outpaced the work on the Landing Zone, Levski was retconned into being a location in Stanton. Levski is going to have both hangars for spawning ships and garages for spawning land vehicles to use at the location. They're far enough along with it that some of the dev team is moving on to other Stanton landing areas such as Area 18 and New Babbage. Development is also being updated for NPC AI. NPC ships are apparently very close to being 100% controlled by subsumption. Side note, because this has caused confusion in the past, as far as we are aware, CIG has not stopped using Kythera, nor is Subsumption an alternative vendor or competing product. Subsumption is a style of AI programming, sort of like object-oriented design or ISO documentation practices. The conversion means NPC ships in the verse will actually react to spontaneous events like pirates jumping in. They're also getting closer to making AI wingmen intelligently follow a designated leader and improving the AI's ability to recognize friendly targets. The feature on ATV this week dealt with the solar system design and the tools that go into it. As with many things in Star Citizen, it was originally a bespoke process, with individual elements being added to the overall design. Big changes to those designs resulted in basically reworking the whole system. Now they have a tool called SolEd which allows them to more quickly and easily figure out things like scale, orbital distances, and generate planets, moons, and other objects. Though it can't do gas giants quite yet. It was a long time back, but we've mentioned before the Star Citizen devs don't just make up their solar systems on the fly. 
there is a collective of legitimate astrophysicists who volunteer to serve as technical consultants for games, movies, and similar projects, and CIG makes use of them when designing solar systems. However, there are some sacrifices made in the name of fun. The obvious one is asteroid belts and fields. As realistic as it is to have asteroids spaced 100,000 kilometers apart, it isn't very exciting. The other obvious sacrifice was scale. Solar systems are being designed at about one-tenth scale, presumably to avoid the game's unofficial title being Star Citizen Quantum Drive. In one example the devs mentioned, one of their solar systems had a scenario where the player traveling from one point of interest to another would spend 20 minutes in quantum drive. The devs opted to adjust that down. What they are being more rigorous about are things like orbital mechanics. They try to avoid placing planets in positions where their orbit and mass would actually fling them out of the solar system, and they are paying attention to the size and rotation of the planets, so there's a believable day-night cycle that doesn't have to be retailored for every other world. Initially, they thought they'd have to throw out a lot of the more fun lore they came up with, but real space is proving to be odd enough that it isn't really an issue. For example, there's evidence of a gas giant that is essentially all black clouds. The devs freely admit to stealing that and putting it in the game. And they said that since science has evidence of things like planets where it rains glass and a planet made entirely out of diamond, they worry about it less than they used to. All of this was discussed in light of Crusader and its moons being released in 3.0. The Sol Ed system was heavily employed in creating them, and the devs are hoping they'll be interesting destinations for players to explore. You know, I, I, at this point, I, I get, I, I think that Star Citizen's more interested in building the tools than they are actually building the game. Well, the tools are, are supposed to accelerate them. They said that originally when they were trying to build systems, in order to add a planet, you can't just use the coordinate system of the uh, system, right? You have to use a coordinate system of something that's orbiting it, right? But they didn't have it set up for that correctly. So they basically had to set up the organization of the planet in like the origin and then slowly move it around uh, in, in increments to get it where it was with the thing orbiting it correctly. The problem is if you needed to add a new planet, you had to redo the entire system. What this Soul Ed thing lets them do is they have to generate 100 systems anyway. This lets them generate the systems a lot faster than they were doing before. And if they need to make a, make a change, it's like drag and drop rather than rebuild an entire system because they forgot to add a moon or something. The other thing here I want to just really quick point out, uh, I think Kythera is just a pathfinding AI system. Subsumption is mostly like their... Um, their trading and their conversation and things like that. And I'm sure it, they tie together, but I don't think Subsumption does any kind of the pathfinding parts. Well, no, I wasn't I wasn't pointing that out because um, I think Kythera was using Subsumption. It's just that there have been various discussions on uh, message boards and Reddit where people see these notices about, yeah, we've got the AI almost working on Subsumption and people start freaking out like, wait, why did they drop Kythera? I thought that was what they were using. Did they have to go back and refactor everything? So right. that was, yeah, they're still using both. And like Kinchado said, it's um, Subsumption is handling probably a different aspect of the AI than Kythera is. So And Subsumption is, is I think, pretty much Tony Zerdovic's main job. So that's, that's what he works on. And that's mostly about how individual AI become immersive in the environment. 
And as we were saying earlier, Kythera is more about pathfinding, so it's more about um, the enemies actually fighting you. So if you're if you're in Arena Commander and you're fighting a uh, in Pirate Swarm, it's mostly Kythera that's doing the AI work there. If you go in the PU and you want to trade with that ship that you see on your on your radar, then it would be mostly Subsumption doing the work. But they both do their little jobs. I'm just hoping that Subsumption allows escorts to actually like try to go evasive when they're under attack as opposed to just continuing to plod along in the same straight line while torpedoes are launched at them from 10 kilometers out. Well, that's an, that's another interesting discussion, right? Because, um, you know, back in the day with Privateer and Wing Commander, you had like these, what would you put it like, you would, modes you would put to your AI wingmen in, like protect me or attack that guy. And you had to, you had to micromanage them to be, for them to be effective. And, uh, you know, modern MMOs like, wow, they have like, you know, four states pets can be in and the like. It'll be interesting when we get to that point what um, SIG reveals as their, you know, wingman states. You know, how you actually control your wingman and, and what capabilities you have from your ship. And whether they're able to be effective without basically poking them with a stick every few minutes to make sure they're on yeah, task. Yeah, or, or if they go aggro that uh, Van Duel that hasn't quite seen you yet, you know, despite you not wanting to. <laughs> yeah. So I had a question about the scale of the solar systems. It says they scale it down to about 10%. And I wonder if that has more to do with performance than it does with travel time, because couldn't they always make you go faster? Exactly. You know, I, I thought about it. You know, uh, when uh, the start, when, when the Enterprise comes home, it, it takes like minutes to get to Earth. Well, the, the, the Enterprise has, has warp and impulse, right? But this is, this is a Chris Roberts thing, right? Chris Roberts, at the very beginning of Star Citizen, decided quantum drive is 0.2C, period. That's it. No more discussion about it. And it's been that way for the last five years. It's 0.2C. So you don't go any faster when you're going quantum drive. Now, you can do jumps through, through wormholes, but for whatever reason, he chose 0.2C as the, the, the maximum realistic... Uh, you know, whatever quantum drive is, right? Because it's not actually, you know, a, uh, a mass-driven accelerating drive. It's something else. But that's where it comes down to. They have to make these things not only fit in a 0.2c range, but a 0.2c range multiplied by their time acceleration, because there's like a 10x time acceleration they've talked about, and uh, within what they believe a user could, could, could withstand, right? So I think they, they've pretty much said 20 minutes is where you'll see about traveling the distance of a solar system. So answer me this. What is C? Yeah, C is, C is like the generally accepted uh, symbol for the speed of light since Einstein. So right. that's what that's about, Jeff. It's, uh, it's not arbitrary. It was until Einstein said that's what it is. So quantum drive, the way it works and the way that interdiction works in the universe, too, for some things, is that when you're traveling at point 2C, and they mentioned this on ITV as well, you can't turn. Because turning would slam you against the wall and you'd vaporize, right? So you have to go in a straight line, and it has some sort of gravity bubble that, that kills the initial acceleration, but once you're at that velocity, you just stay there. And you can't, you can't turn. You can stop, though. And so they use this gravity bubble to, to stop. So the ship is constantly looking forward, and if it sees anything in its path, rather than trying to minor course correct, which it can, it simply stops. And that's the way some of the interdiction stuff they've talked about uh, works. Like if you try and go through something, try and go from one point to the other point, if you don't have that an asteroid belt 
on your map already and know it's there and to go around, then you're going to run into it and you're going to stop. You're not going to explode, but you'll stop before you hit the asteroids and then you have to take manual control, fly through them, and then go go fast again after you get through it. I, I think they decided on point two c is because that was a fairly fast speed that you could potentially stop at. But they're having to use hand wavium anyway in order to stop at point two c on, on, in an instant. So... I personally don't see the reason of why can't we say, well, we're traveling at 0.9C or something like that and then make it a little more realistic. That, that's a great point. I'm kind of wanting Star Trek physics. Well, it just, it seems like they're like, okay, we don't want to fudge our physics about the way our engines work, but we're going to fudge our physics about the way the solar systems form. You know what I mean? It's still yeah, fudging I, physics. Yeah, it's it's yeah, like just, you said, it's hand wavium used one place instead of yeah. another. You're still using it. it it's, it's, yeah. it's a balance between immersion, you know, you know, fidelity immersion, just Roberts and fun gameplay. And so they feel like this is the most immersive thing where it doesn't feel like I have, you know, hyper unrealistic, um, faster than light travel. Like they would probably view star Trek or, uh, elite as, um, they have their, what they feel is a more grounded in physics transportation system. And their hand wavium is just for gameplay reasons that they, this people, nobody wants to sit into, you know, an hour to go from earth to Mars. So yeah, you know, year from now, you know, if we're in, if we end up playing in the PTU and actually going through jump points and stuff like that, nobody's going to care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> does it, does it matter? Yeah. You know, whether it's point two C or if it's really kind of, eh. I think this is where Tony would bring up mini jump points. Oh, Jesus. So we'll just make that note for posterity's sake, but I don't think anyone's actually going to argue that point. I think it'll still feel big. I think that's the point. It'll still feel big. You'll still feel a big solar system. You'll have distance to travel that'll take time, and that's really what's important. You don't want to be getting everywhere instantly. Like you said, Henry, when, when you're making a space game that isn't solely dedicated to calculating the travel involved in space you have to screw with one of the three variables either time the speed of light or distance and this is just the particular combination that star citizen picked it's not going to please everybody but i don't think anything would so i'm willing to give them a little bit of leeway on this particular option so one other thing on the soul ed stuff i think it's going to really accelerate them creating their other hundred solar systems that they'll be supposed to have for the final game. But I think because um, it's supposed to be easy to, to edit, it may change the uh, applicability of events and things like that in the game. So if you have uh, comets or you have special things that go through your system that aren't normally always there, if the Sol Ed system is actually super easy to use, they can add and delete these new uh, celestial bodies at will and uh, have, you know, a meteor swarm where it wouldn't normally be or have a, a comet that goes out beyond your normal range and have it pass through the system and be something interesting to go to and see. And so that that is somewhat exciting that they can add um, that they may be able to make quick changes to their systems going forward. Our Star Citizen community question number two is, are you excited to see Levesky finally making its in-game debut? Or is it does attention to stellar detail something that you appreciate? Tell us your stellar position through our usual channels. Details are coming up. Rejoice all ye combatiers and space truckers, the arrival of the latest patch of ye old British space sim is on, just in time for the annual celebration of good riddance to the Yankees. <clears throat> Translating to American, 
patch 2.3.1 is expected to drop very soon, trademark, most likely on the same day this podcast is available for download, Tuesday, July 27th. The weekly newsletter Frontier sends to every player contained a helpful link to the forum thread containing change logs for the game updates, only there isn't anything there yet for 2.3.1. So while we'd love to break down the list of improvements and additional content, it'll have to wait until the next episode. The beta change log was rather slim on features and fixes, leading to speculation that there may be a stealth content update inbound. If anyone finds a slimy egg cave filled with Thargoids next week, we'll let you know. Following up on a story from the previous episode, Frontier has finally dropped the hammer on the rogues and scoundrels who exploited the bug in the engineering upgrade system. Normally we call it the ban hammer, but the company stopped well short of this nuclear option. Instead, they opted to simply unengineer the modules that carried the ill-gotten grades. Unfortunately, their records can't tell exactly which modules had cheater mods and which ones were rolled legitimately. So, if a pilot rolled a grade 5 long-range frameshift drive with the exploit and also equipped a different ship with a grade 5 long-range frameshift drive using the legit method, Frontier nerfed them both. On the other hand, your legitimately rolled grade 5 shield frame ship drive was spared. Frontier decided this collateral damage was quite acceptable, all things considered. Reactions, as always, were mixed. Why would Frontier put the possibility of the banhammer in the terms of service if they're not going to drop it on the cheaters? Especially when, according to the always trustworthy Reddit, one of the exploiters was none other than the infamous Commander Harry Potter himself. For those who don't remember, Mr. Space Wizard intercepted Drew Wager's Salome character in the community event back in April. As regular listeners will recall, the intercept itself was the cause of a great deal of controversy. The controversy is now compounded because this Imperial Clipper was apparently chock full of cheats when he killed the Salome character. We conclude this because, reportedly, it appears that essentially 100% of his engineer mods were stripped from all of his ships. Again, this is unverified, but our investigative eyewitness badger has been in the same instance with Commander Harry Potter's Imperial Cutter shield tank prior to the nerf, uh, I'm sorry, corrective action. He can vouch that the chances of the Space Wizards modules being the result of a reasonable number of grade 5 rolls are somewhere between slim and none. Commander Potter might dare show his face in open sometime next year, after re-rolling a few upgrades. Turning from the exploitation news to the exploration news, another megaship has been found. This time, Professor Melville's, quote, the seat has been located, derelict, in a system that contains five guardian ruins. We'll put a link to the forum post in the show notes, as this is just breaking as we recorded the show. The ship was reported missing via the Galnet post back in February of this year, along with hints that Ram Ta wasn't the only brainiac on the trail of the mysterious mound-building extinct aliens. And, to be clear, the red-skinned guardians are completely different species from the insectoid thargoids that are generating all the buzz lately. Is this the discovery of a lifeline of ancient wisdom to help us defeat our new bug-eyed flower-flying overlords? Or is this an outdated mystery we should have solved months ago but didn't take the hints Frontier dropped. 
so I, I got a question on this this particular exploit. Did any of you guys actually research what exactly you had to do to do it? No, I, I avoid exploits. Care. I don't exploit, yeah. so I wasn't interested. We reported that it happened, but I, I didn't look up how to do it because I'm, I want to make sure I don't do it, you know? I want to not give myself that opportunity. I'm sure Tony, if he was here, would, would, uh, would regale us with all the uh, ins and outs of the exploit because he... He, as a lawyer, has that lawyer mind and wants to know what's, you know. His lawyers are bad people. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm wondering if if anybody accidentally, you know, came across this. They, they were going to go for a grade one and they pressed the wrong button and, oh, wait, you know, I can do a grade five That's here. a great question. I, I wonder. I have no idea. I wonder if any innocent people were caught in this sting. And that's that may be why they didn't put the ban hammer down because they realized that some people legitimately just accidentally did it. I think the reason not to put the ban hammer down probably has more to do with the fact it was probably widespread, which means they'd be mm. making a lot of their uh, players not play. I think that's more likely. Plus, like the like the thing said, they didn't have the ability to distinguish between legit and non-legit mods, if any were present. So they say, but even even if that wasn't true, who cares? That it's a great punishment. You know they cheated. So I mean, it. it I mean, I can see them. They're banning people if it was like way out of your way. But I, to your point, Henry. You're, you're right. It's the, the exploit's been apparently been there since February. So you know, this could have affected, you know, thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point when you feel everybody else has got the souped up weapons and you're the one who hasn't done it, you know, good people use yeah. that. So your whole guild wants to, you know, go out and fly wings and stuff like that. You're the one guy who can't keep yeah. up. You're going to go ahead and do right. that. So it's good that they didn't ban people, but I'm glad they took them away. And I'm glad they took something extra from them, too. See, I'm of a different opinion. I, I think they should have taken them away and they should have banned people. But I think they could have been more selective about it. So if, if a person's got one or two exploited mods, uh, great. You know, they get it taken away. But if you're like this, you know, um, person, like obviously 100% of his mods were exploited. Come on, that man should have had a ban and he should have had a perma ban, not just a a week ban, not just a month ban, but a perma ban. Because this guy is not going to learn his lesson. He's going to go out and try to exploit the system again. And it's just going to be bad for all the players in the long run. But they can't tell how many you have, right? They can tell that you made a made an exploited item. And if you put it on a ship and it has, you know, one of each or something like that, then they, then they all get screwed. But they don't actually know that every single thing that he had was an exploit item. Yeah, because if somebody did the, the legitimate work to get one copy of something and then afterward they decided to do it by way of the exploit, they just lost both of them. Yep. So I can see and agree with what they did and why they did it that way. It's, it basically goes back to the whole debate about if you find an exploit, what do you do with it? This has been discussed already, but I think... Frontier does bear some responsibility here for not jumping on this sooner. The fact they let it go so long exacerbates the issue to, to no end. Let me use Oprah meme for you. You're a keyboard assassin. You're a keyboard assassin. You're a keyboard assassin. You're all keyboard assassins because you have no responsibility behind the keyboard for what you do. That's what Elite Dangerous is saying to these people. Is that, hey, it's okay. You're not responsible. You're everything's good. We'll just take that little that little fun thing away from you for a while. 
and there's no repercussions. I disagree. That really crippled their ships. Taking those engineering modules off, and now they have to grind. Plus, they didn't get the materials they used to get them. I think it's a punishment. And it's a punishment that doesn't stop people from playing their game and giving them money. So I think it's a win for Frontier and probably a win for us because, well, you know, most of us can probably kick Harry Potter's butt now. <laughs> until, he finds, until he finds the next exploit, which he'll do. Because they don't. these type of people don't stop. Yeah, but they can't say a million people did this. Let's kick out Harry Potter because we don't like him. That's not right to do. You know, they didn't kick. They're not no, kicking no, no. him out I'm for not... the things that they don't like him doing. They can't kick him out for something a ton of other people were doing. It just seems wrong to me. I mean, you can make the argument that he. W I mean, yeah, the problem is basically if you start down that road, where do you draw the line? Because if you go completely just based on the numbers about it, then. It has to be all or nothing. You either have to ban everybody who had an exploited one, or you don't ban any of them. Are you telling me they can tell you what exploits they have, but they can't tell you who the worst defenders are? Yeah, I'm sure that them saying we can't tell yeah, is not true. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, everything's in a database. Yeah. They look at the data. Exactly. Maybe they don't want to spend the time to figure out what's legit and what's not. It'll be uh, telling what they do with their next exploit, because they'll have another exploit. No. Not Frontier, not on Elite, not anymore. Bugs or X-Feeds, bite your tongue, sir. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. If they start banning people, then, you know, we'll uh, maybe we'll eat our words here. But if they uh, they give more repeat previews, you know, continuously, then... Well, it also depends on what... I mean, I think the application of banning would have been a legitimate option, if the, again, if they jumped on it sooner. But... Since they let it run for so long, there was the question of, did they decide, well, we're just going to let them live with this? Because, for example, and I mean, this is stretching way back, but a similar game, X2, Space Sim, one of the first missions you get, you get to fly a very expensive, tricked-out oh, yeah, yeah. ship. And one of the things that you can do is if you take that ship at the end of the mission before you actually finish the mission and dock it at a space station, you can sell all of the upgraded equipment that's installed on that ship. Guilty of that one. Totally guilty yep. of that. And start up, and you can start out with like a 500,000 credit boost. Now, objectively, that probably was not the way you were supposed to do it. <laughs> but they never fixed it. So... Yeah, and the X Games are famous for that too, just like Frontier. Well, but Ego, but EgoSoft said it's a single. It was a single player game, and it hurt nobody. If that's what, if that's what you wanted to do, that's what you did. You know, um, God, I still play that. Game yeah, too. So, I totally did that though. That, yeah, that was just the, the way to start for me. That wasn't an exploit. It was the way you do it to me. Right, but some some game companies would see an exploit like that, even in a single player game. And they would patch it, and in the process of patching it, they could very well make all of the saves where you had used that patch invalid. And, you know, that approach has is just as valid as the one where they just let it slide. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't unprecedented. But Jeff's point is great about it being, uh, you know, single player and doesn't matter. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's true. Because you have open mode, and it's... Uh, you know, it's not a level playing field when some people are willing to cheat. And in a game like Elite where you know they may, where you could be banned for that, it's right in the terms of service. Everybody doesn't want to cheat to keep up. 
So, our Elite Dangerous community question. Did the punishment fit the crime for the naughty exploiters of Cheaterosity? Are you going Thargoid cave hunting when the new patch drops? We want to know what you think. Details for how to tell us are coming up after feedback. Now it's time for news we didn't use. The August 2017 U.S. edition of PC Gamer reviews a number of flight sticks and hotasses for your hardware selection. They concluded the Logitech Extreme 3D Pro joystick offered the best combination of price, quality, and number of controls, though the guard frequency favorite Thrustmaster T-Flight HOTUS X was not included in their survey. The Peerless Steam Summer Sale is now in full swing and will continue until July 5th. You can pick up Elite Dangerous for half off and get the Horizon Season Pass for 33% less than retail. Also, for retro gamers, classics such as Free Space, Tacky on the Fringe, and most X-Wing and TIE Fighter titles are available for less than $10 each. The No Man's Sky ARG has massively ramped itself up, involving encrypted radio station broadcasts, a website called WalkingTitan.com, in-game coordinates with mysterious player entities, data drops in real-life New York City, sigils, and passwords galore. Our research badgers say that if you're interested in ARGs, be sure to check the link in the show notes and prepare to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. I filled up my bucket with the uh, uh, free space tacky on the fringe and and stuff. Uh, I I have those games uh, already, uh, but they don't they ran on an old DOS system, and I was excited that I could play with Steam. Yeah, Tachyon's going to be fun to revisit. I didn't know that was on sale. That was that's exciting. That was just a great yeah. game. Yeah, I, I just picked up Worlds Adrift because that's a um, it's an interesting not not space sim, but like. Uh, Flying around sim that I encourage everybody to check out, but they're doing their 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 keys in like wave releases, so you have to be quick on the button and look at the, keep up with the news to, to play the game. Well, now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly, so let's just be friendly. Some say he's a picker, a grinner, a lover, and a sinner and that he plays his music on the run. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Recap of last week's community questions. For Star Citizen, are you looking forward to hopping on an alien space bike? Is $40 too much for what they're offering? Do you want to see more computer science lectures on ATV? And an Elite Dangerous' feedback question was, will you be joining the fight against a flower power spaceship menace? Or are you hightailing it to Colonia before the swarm hits? From our Discord feedback section, which is a thing now, Tabascoid wrote in and said, I'm fine with the pricing. Even if it wouldn't be the case, sometimes we have to remind ourselves that these ships are also available in-game for in-game money. All you really need is an Aurora. Thargoids haven't made a decision yet. All my friends will stay, so I guess I'll stay with them and we'll see what happens. I just hope it's not rebranded pirate interdictions and conflict. Kraft writes in on the Star Citizen community question. I think the hosts need reminding that a pledge reward, not a ship purchase. True. On the Elite Dangerous community question, he writes and says, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in mania. 
We shall fight in Nebula. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the Deep Black. We shall defend our home system wherever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beacons. We shall fight on planetary landing zones. We shall fight in asteroid fields and gravity wells. We shall fight in the stars. We shall never surrender. And even if, which we do not believe for a minute, this bubble or a large part of the subjugated aren't starving, then our colonial beyond the stars, armed and guarded by the fleet, would carry on the struggle until in good time the SDC, with all their power and might, steps forth to rescue and to the liberation of us all. So say we all. So say we all. Don writes in and says, Star Citizen Feedback, I currently have two dragonflies. I may CCU one into a Nox, depending on how I feel about the sale. Elite Dangerous Feedback, I won't be running nor fighting in the foreseeable future. I feel you guys hit it on the head with some of the issues in ED. Their shiny things get me to come play, but I never feel compelled to stay. I'm a fairly newish player, maybe 20 to 30 hours put into ED, but I get no sense of direction while playing the game. The community has been super helpful getting me started, but without something in the game other than now I can buy a better weapon, or yay, finally I, you can get a bigger ship, I never stick around for very long. Some in-game direction on what I should or could be doing would go a long way. Some direction on how to find these cool things everybody sees without having to know, already know what it is that I'm going to be looking for. Right now, the only way for a new player to know to go find something, like the engineers, is if they already know they exist. I've not run into anything while playing the game that would put me on a path to the engineers. So, had I not known they were a thing and going and doing out-of-game research outside the game, I'd have never known they were there, much less how to find or interact with them. Ryokin writes in and says... For one, the Star Citizen question, I'm waiting to see what the new space bikes look like. For the Elite question, I'll be joining the fight in Elite. Sounds like fun. I do also see why the fight will be optional because of the new player experience and explorers that have been out for months. Ruining months of work or someone's first hour won't do anyone any favors. Also, with some of the lore about the Thargoids that I've read about, it would make sense that they may not be interested in a full-out invasion. That is, if I read the right stuff, or it's even considered canon that the end of a war a biological weapon was released against them, requiring the Alliance to help, resulting in the Alliance having a Goid cap ship. As for how Elite is doing the patches, I think they're doing okay, they just need to change some underlying mechanics to make things feel less like a grind and rely less on random number generator on top of random number generator. Looking at you, engineers, with your secondary roles. I do agree that once something is found and the data is turned in, there should be waypoints and or points of interest that can be purchased about that system. Sean Newboy writes in. Nice to have you back, Sean. Wonderful show, everyone. Personally, I just haven't looked at the space bikes enough to choose. Atalar writes in and says, I have a dragonfly currently. I am interested in seeing more about the Nox and may melt the DF for the Nox, but we'll have to see. And Aaron Hine writes in, As a computer science major and software developer, I love the CS lectures on ATV. Okay, I gotta I got say that Adon's points on Elite kind of echo a lot of the sentiments I've had in the past on it, in that it's a fun game, but I really wish they have, would have more direction kind of built into the gameplay rather than, oh, just go do whatever you want, but you gotta find that in Reddit or some other forum post because we don't tell you anything. 
Yeah, I do want to mention his point about not knowing where to go for the engineers. They get, uh, you might want to check his email system because in game you get emails when uh, engineers are unlocked, I believe. So you can watch there to see what you're unlocking as you get it. That's in your two menu. You press two, it opens communication. Yeah, but I, I think his point is more about the direction on how, I mean, you don't know what to do to unlock those and get those emails. I mean, it could be, it's very random almost, it seems like. Well, unlocking an engineer, it's like, come here, bring us this, and we'll get started. So it's it's pretty direct there, but everything else, his point is just dead on. He's absolutely right. You know you're going to look at a barnacle. You know you're going to look at an alien crash. You know that it's there already. You're not discovering anything. You're never going to. You know, you're going to see something that somebody else has found, and that's just par for the course for Elite. I mean, it would be interesting if they, uh, once these things are known by the communities, they start communicating to them, them to you in-game. Like a, a news feed that was in the game, you click on, oh, okay, I can set that waypoint. I'll go over there and see the barnacle or whatever, right? They do have that in Galnet. Uh, sometimes the stories are much slower to come about than they are on YouTube, though. So you find out things about, mm. or find out about things outside of game first. But yeah, they do have that news, that internal news system. Uh, where a lot of those things are revealed. But they don't point you anywhere to those uh, news feeds and tell you that's what they're for either. So the point, the, the argument stands. The argument is totally valid. In general feedback, 5 of 12 responds to the show art and says, that's not a Thargoid, that's a Thryphid. Vector White says, great looking patch, guys. And Ken from Chicago says, yay, the opening skit is back and it is glorious as usual. Thanks, Ken. My first one. <laughs> yeah, you did a good job on Thank that. Thank you. appreciate that. Yeah, great job, you hoser, eh? <laughs> you got it. Just call me Susan. And for our new Patreon section this week, new patches have arrived. Anyone at the patch level, expect them soon. And as a random winner this week, we have Robert Klassen. And this week's community question. Star Citizen community question number one. Is offering a new, fairly cheap ship with LTI a dangerous loophole? Or are people still making too much of LTI and the idea that CCUs are exploitable? Our second Star Citizen community question, are you excited to see Levski finally making its in-game debut? Is the dev's attention to stellar detail something you appreciate? And our Elite Dangerous community question, did the punishment fit the crime for the naughty exploiters of Cheaterosity? Are you going Thargoid cave hunting when the new patch drops? Drop us an email, a tweet, or a comment on our show post, which you'll find on our website. So, how was the show? Was it like finally having your exploits patched, or did the patch leave you with more bugs than before? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 173 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 174 on July 4th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at Feeds.GuardFrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come and join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over at our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? 
drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com and you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on that Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just about twenty-five a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live show, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our Elite Colon Dangerous flight group. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we can get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us all over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Contact 330, Carol 15, Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. Is offering the Nox with CCU still available a dangerous still available a dangerous loophole? Is this uh, like hang there, on. This, uh, there's a comma it's offering the Nox. This is very Yoda. I don't know how to comma this and make it in Is offering the, the Nox is, with CCU still available a dangerous loophole? Should have let Lennon write that one. Could have been in more inco- more incomprehensible. You want to take three or are you good? Take three. What do you mean? I was just asking if you wanted to read it again. No, I'm good. Okay. Unless you think I need to read Me. it. No, I don't. Okay. I won't, I won't cut you off again. I promise. Meanwhile, on ATV... I one, though, for the uh, beginning. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're good now, though. Go for it, boss. Sorry. Some of that was tough to get through, huh? Probably not as hard as Harry Potter getting back into combat without his upgrades, though. Don writes in and says, Star Citizen Feedback... I currently have two dragonflies. Two dragonflies. Hmm. <laughs> Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a moment and take a I think exploits are awesome and everybody should do them. <laughs>